This evening, I'm excited to be, to be bringing uh, the message. I've been praying for weeks into this message. And I'm going to share with you in a second. It took a long time for the message to develop because the Lord kept giving me a vision over and over of what, what was going to take place in your life tonight. The title of this message tonight is From the Walk of Flesh to the Walk of Freedom. Will be in Galatians 4 21 through 31. It says this in verse 21. It's talking about Hagar and Sarah. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, do you not understand what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and one by the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh. But his son by the free woman was born through the promise. These things serve as illustrations for the women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children into slavery. This is Hagar. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present day Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. And she is our mother, for it is written, Rejoice, O barren woman who bears no children. Break forth and cry aloud, you who have never travailed, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Listen to this in verse 28. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, however, the son born by the flesh persecuted the son born by the spirit. It is the same now. But what does the scripture say? Expel the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Let us pray tonight. So Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are in this room. You are in this place as we sung, abide in us. We, we ask that you would just not abide in this room, but you would begin to invade every crooked way within us. We cry out tonight, Abba Father, would you invade every single way within our heart that does not please you, the thoughts that are within our minds that do not play, please you, the ways within our bodies that do not please you. Tonight, like we also say, we yield to you Holy Spirit we submit our minds we submit our hearts our spirits and our flesh to you tonight King Jesus we say have your way because we declare that we are a people that are not our own but we declare tonight as sons and daughters that we are yours so come and have your way in us we declare speak Lord your servants are listening tonight. Come and get your glory. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. See, freedom is what men and women have given their lives up for since the beginning of time. Men and women have given their lives, have sacrificed family members, sent their sons, have sent their husbands, have gone to war to fight for this thing called freedom. We see this theme of freedom everywhere from movements to movies. Despite what Andrew Burnt thinks, I think one of the greatest movies of all time is Braveheart. 
Come on, if I were to dress up for Halloween, I don't. That's not for the religious people in the room or anything. But if I were, I think I would have to go get the blue paint and just smear it on my face, put on my armor. And like, that's what I would be dressing up after is Braveheart. And I love the scene when, when he's riding on his horse, his face is all painted and he's going back and forth in between these weak warriors, if that's what you want to call them in this moment. And he's saying, are you ready to fight for freedom? And they're like, no, we want to run. And he's like, why would you run so that we can live? And then he says this, how long are you gonna live then? Cause it's coming for you. So if you're gonna live, wouldn't it be better to live for something great? And if you're gonna die anyways, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be better to die for freedom's sake? And this is the speech that he is giving his warriors and all of a the sudden they begin to chant for freedom. And then at the end of the movie, you see in his dying breath as they're about to behead him, he's dying for this thing that with his last breath, he gets out. Freedom. His life was lived as this representation that what's the point of living in bondage? But living in freedom is what gives purpose to life. See, I believe that we are living in a day and age that those who are trying to live life have no idea what a sacrifice for freedom is. See, freedom has been given freely to this generation, our generation. In fact, many of us don't even have grandparents or, or great-grandparents alive to tell us the horrific stories of war, of what they had to endure for our freedom. See, this generation doesn't know what the cost for freedom is, what the cost that was paid because it was given freely. And when you don't know what the cost for something is, you don't know what it's worth. And when you don't know what something is worth, not only do you receive it freely, but you will also give it away freely. And I believe that this is why we are seeing a generation right now that is willing to give up freedom or to call freedom in a perverted light and say that it is for freedom that I should be able to kill my baby when truly what we are hearing in the chance of our generation of this next generation right now is chanting let me live in my bondage let me mutilate my child's body let me put the next generation in bondage because they don't understand the cost nor the worth of freedom they have no idea what future generations paid what mothers that never saw their sons come back home what they paid for us to live in peace, for us to live in blessing. And this is why America is sleeping. And even more, the body of Christ is sleeping. 
Because we haven't heard about the great works. We're not people of our word that know about the great things that our king has done for us. Our parents and our grandparents didn't pass down spiritual legacy of what Christ did in our family. And now we have not only a generation that is willing to get up their freedom and rights in this nation, but they're also mocking any spiritual rights, not realizing that that price was also paid for them. It's kind of like the grandchildren of the grandparent that passes and they leave behind some things for their grandchildren and the grandchildren receive these items from their grandparents and stand and look and think that's an ugly piece of furniture that's an ugly rusted little item that I don't know what it is and so they sell it for pennies not realizing it's worth thousands because they don't understand the worth. See, when you don't know the cost for freedom, you will give it up for free. So I felt like I was supposed to take us back into history tonight a little bit on a few different wars America has been involved in for the cost of freedom. The first is the American Revolutionary War. This was fought in 1775 to 1783. The American Revolutionary War was an insurrection by patriots in the 13 colonies against British rule resulting in American independence. About 57,500 deaths took place, about half of those being American lives. It was on September 3rd, 1783, that Great Britain formally recognized the independence of the United States in the Treaty of Paris. At the same time, Britain signed separate peace treaties with France and Spain, which had entered the conflict in 1779, bringing the American Revolution to a close after eight long years. The next war I want to tell you about tonight that many of us are probably more familiar with is the Civil War. This took place in 1861 until 1865. You will see that the deaths climbed with each war that I mentioned tonight. In this war, approximately 625,000 deaths took place. Men that died in the Civil War with 625 more Americans died in this war than World War I, World War II, the Korean War, and the Vietnam War combined. If the names of the Civil War uh, dead were arranged like the names on the Vietnam Memorial, it would stretch over 10 times the wall's length. 2% of the population of America died, which is equivalent to 6 million men today. I wanted to point out just a couple of the many Civil War heroes. One of my favorites and Peyton's favorite, just watch this movie 3,271 times, I think at least, is Harriet Tubman. She was the escaped enslaved woman who led others to freedom. That's why she's my favorite, because she took her freedom and made others free through her freedom. This is called courage that is so rare that we see today. Many of us take our freedom and run with it and say, oh, I'm free. 
I'm, I'm, I'm out of Dodge. Harriet said, I'm free and I know that there's thousands back there in bondage and I can't live on this earth. I can't take in the flowers. I can't look at the blue skies until I bring some freed men and women with me. I believe that this is what the body of Christ is called to do today is that you have received a freedom that the world needs. See, she began to set free through the Underground Railroad until God then began to give her this wild uh, a favor, not with just God, but with men. And she began to uh, work with the union. And, it, and I love this story. Because it says that Tubman and Union Colonel James Montgomery steamed into the interior of 300 black Union soldiers and the troops swept through nearby plantations, burning homes and barns as Union gunboats sounded their whistles. And as the whistles blew, enslaved men, women, and children came streaming from the countryside, reminding Tubman of the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. More than 720 enslaved people were shuttled to freedom during this one mission. In the first raid led by a woman during the Civil War, Tubman liberated 10 times the number of enslaved peoples she had freed in 10 years on the Underground Railroad. I feel like there's an anointing alone on this story that so many of you are so afraid to tell your testimony or your story to set others free. And this woman's life was on the line every single time she brought somebody into freedom, but it just multiplied. It just multiplied. The more courageous she became, the more freedmen multiplied. I believe many of you sitting in this room tonight need to catch courage tonight as I minister so that God would begin to multiply freedom in your life and those around you. There was also President Abraham Lincoln who was assassinated for his fight for freedom for his black brothers and sisters. I love this, that the Civil War on the Union side was one of the most diversified armies of any war with people of many different nationalities and races fighting for freedom and equal rights for African Americans. It was one of the most diversified the nationalities all from around the world came together to fight for freedom. Unity is a powerful thing, church. This leads us into World War I, which happened of 1914 and 1918. This is staggering and wild. There was 19 million deaths in World War I. World War I, there was 9 million soldiers that died. 21 million more that were wounded. And civilian casualties numbered close to 10 million, bringing the total to 19. The two nations most affected were Germany and France, each of which sent 80% of their male populations between the age of 15 and 49 to battle. Can you imagine 80% of the men in America going to battle and not returning? World War I led us... 10 years later until World War II, 1939 to 1945, because the peace treaties that were signed in World War I, Hitler didn't like. I'm going to talk more about treaties with an enemy later. 
But 1939 and 1945, this takes place, and this is mind-blowing, these numbers. 60 to 80 million deaths took place in World War II, including up to 55 million civilians, 20 million soldiers, and numerous cities in Europe and Asia were reduced to rubble. Among the people killed were six million Jews murdered in Nazi concentration camps as part of Hitler's diabolical final solution, now known as the Holocaust. World War II is the largest and deadliest conflict in human history involving more than 50 nations and was fought on land, sea, and air in near, nearly every single part of the world. Church, I came to tell you tonight that all throughout history, men and women have given their lives up to fight for this thing called freedom. And the cost for them was worth it. To live in bondage wasn't worth it because it came down to bringing liberty and justice for all. I came to ask you tonight, if freedom is worth the fight, then why have you given up on your freedom or somebody else's? And I don't ask you religiously or I don't ask your neighbor. I'm asking you tonight. Why have you given up on your personal freedom or somebody else's that you know? Tonight I want to talk to you about what you are personally enslaved by. I want to expose the lies and the demons that you have listened to and the treaties that you have made with the enemy. I want to talk to you about the slavery that the enemy has entrapped the body of Christ in and convinced us that this is as good as it's going to get. Submit to the victory of your enemy and just live in this world of sin and temptation, of compromise. Live in bondage. Take the compromise. Take the treaty. Just give in. I had a vision as I prayed for you in the last couple of weeks that I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon. And the vision was of the body of Christ in chains and in bondage in agony. The body of Christ was under demonic oppression. And I instantly knew that this is how the enemy has taken so much territory in your mind, in your marriage, in our children, in our families, in our education, in our businesses, on your laptop, on your phone, in the midnight hours, because we have signed a treaty with the devil without realizing it. A treaty is where we'll meet halfway because all of a sudden I've been convinced that true freedom isn't an option. And this is when in the vision I begin to hear the voice of the enemy speak. See, let me tell you this. When you sign a treaty with demons, they don't honor it. 
It's the invitation for them to take more, more ground and more territory in your life. I begin to weep in this vision. I begin to intercede on my prayer run. I begin to ask God for mercy for the body of Christ because that's when I begin to hear the sound of demons speaking to the body of Christ. And then and, and these demons, they were talking the body of Christ out of the very thing that Christ died for. It was for liberty and it was for freedom and the body of Christ began to believe that true freedom wasn't an option and I heard the lies like this the Bible doesn't promise me I'll ever be totally free I'm not as bad as I used to be doesn't this just make me non-religious to do some of these things and to live in some of these ways? See, living in bondage, it just it, this might be the best route, the, the route of least resistance. They sing this song easy, and it sure seems like this route that the enemy, maybe you didn't even realize that the enemy was offering you a treaty until now, but it seemed like the easier route. The body of Christ began to sign this treaty. It's interesting because this is the same voice that I believe that's speaking to the body of Christ that spoke to the Israelites in the wilderness. They had everything provided for them. Do you know that their daily encounters were like incredible? Like a cloud by day and a fire by night everywhere I go. Can you imagine how cool that would be? I'm convinced, man, it was like popcorn. It's my favorite thing ever. They just had popcorn. Like daily. They didn't have to get up and go make it and spray and do all the seasonings and get their hands all. Like they just left. They grabbed their food. They got to cram it down. And then like I'm on my day and God is my escort. Nothing's touching me. The Egyptians can't come after me. Like the Israelites had it made. But this voice comes and begins to stir up discord. Begins to come after their faith and put seeds of doubt. Is God who he really says he is? What if that thing was just a coincidence and we just got out just barely on our own, in our own strength? Who's to say he's going to show up again? Who is this stuttering Moses he gave us as a leader? See, many of us look at the Israelites as complaining because they did, but I believe what happened first is they listened to the sound of demons. And they begin to entertain demonic voices to intercept a promise from God that Satan was jealous of. There's promises on your life. And I believe that there are demons that come to speak to you daily and many of us entertain them not realizing it's demonic persecuting lying spirits to get us from the promises 
of God. See, it sounds just like it did in the garden with Adam and Eve. See, this, this is crazy for me. Because Adam and Eve legitimately had it perfect. They were, they were made perfect in God's image. They had everything they ever wanted. They didn't have to show up to work. They didn't have to cook either. Like they had it made. God, God set out this perfect world for them and he said, just don't touch this one tree. Just this one. But everything else, you can name it. You can plan around you. Whatever you want, you can have it all. It's wild that they had no reason to entertain a snake. See, many of us, we don't necessarily have a reason to entertain demons but we do it without realizing it. Not knowing that on the other side, the consequences could be grave for generations. For generations. You entertaining demons today, the consequences could fall on your children, on your grandchildren. See, I believe that some of you tonight have been deceived by a snake to start those pills. Drink that little bit of alcohol to relieve that stress. Flirt with that other person other than your spouse and flirt with sin a little bit when it makes no sense because your life's not bad. But he comes in in little wedges, little whispers, little moments of compromise that five years from now, he's flipped your life upside down. He has you walking in bondage when Jesus set you free. Romans 7, 13 through 25 says it like this. But in order that sin might be exposed as sin, it produced death in me through what was good, so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. We know that the law is spiritual, and this is Paul speaking. He says, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I admit that the law is good. In that case, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin living in me that does it. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do. Instead, I keep on doing the evil I do not want to do. And if I do not do what I want, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin living in me that does it. So this is the principle that I have discovered. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in my body, warring against the law of my mind and holding me captive to the law of sin that dwells within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? 
The Lord showed me that this is many of you in here tonight, maybe every single one of us in this room tonight, that what you do not want to do, you keep doing. What you want to be free from, you keep living in bondage. But I came to tell you tonight the best news that there is. It is the good news, the great Jesus, the freedom ringer, the greatest freedom ringer of all time. Jesus Christ paid the highest price for your freedom. He paid the highest price. And this is why Paul finishes this portion of scripture when he says, who will rescue me from this body of death? He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I came to tell you tonight that your bloodline is greater than you know. It's in the bloodline of Jesus Christ that curses are broken and sin is conquered. Many of you have thought that you are stuck in something because it's what the enemy has told you, that you're stuck in it. I came to tell you, you are stuck in nothing tonight. The Bible says to confess your sins, expose it in the light of Jesus and that he is good to deliver, heal, and set us free. But to be able to receive what he did on the cross for us, felt the Lord say tonight, Pride has to die. Pride is the thing that gets in between us and Christ receiving what he paid for us. Many of you in here have been frustrated, not really realizing why am I not walking in the freedom that she's talking about? I gave my life to him 10 years ago, 20 years ago, two years ago. Have you humbled yourself, sir or ma'am? Have you humbled yourself? Have you knelt and wept and repented over your sin? Have you repented to those that you've sinned against? And this is, when I asked you this question, I heard the Holy Spirit respond back with the temptation or with the answer that maybe you haven't said out loud but has been internal. And it was this, but that's too uncomfortable. You are stuck in bondage tonight because of this lie. It's because of our pride that we say it's too uncomfortable to expose our sin. John 3, 19 through 21, Jesus said it perfectly. He said, and this is the verdict. He said, this is the bottom line or this is my judgment the light has come into the world, but men love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light. Now listen to this. And does not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Many of us in this room love Jesus. We want freedom but we have denied and backpedaled from walking into his light for fear that our sin would be exposed because it's too uncomfortable. This is why I'm I opened up with talking about freedom and not knowing the price or the worth because America is all about comfort and it's the opposite of the gospel. 
And so we have become more comfortable in our bondage, more comfortable in our sin. And we have rejected the light of Jesus that would expose, not us, expose our sin, expose demonic warfare on our life, expose demons and what they're speaking to us so that we would be set free. It's fear and pride that are keeping us from freedom, church. And can I tell you the best ones at this? It is the religious ones. Because the religious ones are the most fearful of their sin being exposed. What do I mean about the religious ones? The ones in here that have been saved the longest. You know your word inside and out. You can memorize that scripture like nobody else. So what does the enemy do to you? He begins to persecute your flesh. And he begins to say, what is the church going to think of you? You go and expose your sin in the light. What is the church? What is your family? What is your spouse? What is your children going to think of you? And he begins to persecute you so that you begin to make a treaty with the spirit of religion. Let me just cover everything up and make it look like everything's great on Instagram and on Sunday mornings. And then I'll continue to live in my bondage. This is a treaty with the spirit of religion. I'm going to expose some demons tonight. And I say it on purpose. Because many of you, the enemy twists scripture and says that exposing sin, that you're going to be exposed. You want to know why? When you expose sin, you expose demons. So let's expose some demons tonight. Don't be afraid of exposing your sin because I believe tonight when sin is exposed, you're really exposing the oppression and the taunting lying spirits that have been coming after you and your family and your marriage. So we in unity to expose some things tonight. See, if these demons have been oppressing you, they come to deceive. How do they deceive? They come with partial truths. Here's an example. Spouses in the room, you're thinking right now, yeah, I have some stuff that I could expose and tell my spouse. And so that demon comes along and says, why don't you just tell? You think it's wisdom speaking. It's a demon speaking. Why don't you just tell your wife or your husband a half truth? Why don't you tell them the partial truth? Because if you tell them the partial truth and not the whole thing, ah. Oh, you know, all the tears, all the drama, you know, that stuff that Landon talks about, Pastor Landon talks about, man, years of, of building back trust, that sounds exhausting. So let's, let's go the partial truth route, then that way my flesh feels better because I shared partially so I can say, I, I shared the truth like Pastor Heather said to do, but then at the same time, I don't have to deal with the consequences. This is demons making treaties with you. And then it's at that moment that the spirit of religion, because it, uh, it loves the spirit of fear. Spirit of fear and the spirit of religion like feast on the body of Christ together. And this is the moment that the spirit of religion comes in and says, yeah, now that you went and told that half partial truth, you got this freedom thing all on your own. 
Like, you got yourself into this mess. You can get yourself out of this mess. And so you're, you're a strong, tough gentleman. You're a tough woman in 2023, aren't you? You can handle this. That way, it's a win-win. You tell the partial truth, and then you go get your freedom in your own strength. See, that's how the spirit of religion gets you to deny what Jesus freely did for you. He gets you beginning to operate in works. He gets you to begin, if I do enough deeds, if I do enough things for my wife or my husband, then it's going to start to overcome the bad things that I did. And now I am operating in a spirit of religion or works or my own strength and not the power of Jesus. And then we wonder, God, why isn't this working out? I'm exhausted. I tried with her. I told her part of it. And he's like, ah, it's really so much easier than this. If you would humble yourself, if you would kneel and tell your spouse or your children or your friends, I don't have it all together. I've made mistakes. There's some bondage that's in my life right now. I repent to you. God, I repent. Do you know that this humility positions you for freedom in the easiest way and route? And what the enemy tried to get you all politically caught up in, us politic politicking, with demonic spirits thinking it's the easier route when Jesus said I already paid it all John 8 30 through 34 we see a great example of this and it's the truth will set you free we know this portion of scripture but what I want to point out here is that freedom is standing in front of these men Freedom is standing in front of these Jewish men who it says who had believed in him. Didn't believe in him. It said had believed in him. And Jesus begins to tell them, if you continue my word, this is how you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Their response, we are Abraham's descendants, they answered. We have never been slaves. They're offended. We have never been slaves to anyone. How can you say we will be set free? And they are deceived by religion and cannot see their own bondage when freedom is staring them in the face. This is what those spirits in your life, if you entertain them long enough, you will become a deceived Christian walking around in your chains and bondage that everybody can see anyway. You're the only one that can't see it. But humility... See, I want to tell you tonight, as long as you listen to the deceiver, he will keep speaking to you. Therefore, he will keep deceiving you. So many of you tonight think that you are entangled in something too deep to get out because that's what the deceiver has told you. 
want to lean in. They sound like this again. They'll never believe you. They will never forgive you. You will lose everything. You will be mocked. What will they think of you? I want to ask you tonight, why do these lies have you so bound? What has Satan told you you will gain if you keep quiet? Or what has he told you you will lose if you shout it from the rooftops? And I want to say this to you tonight. So what? So what if you lose it all to be right with Jesus? So what if you lose your reputation to be right in the eyes of Jesus? So what if you had to sacrifice some of your fake peace to be free in Jesus? Some of you tonight to get free need to say to some demons, so what? Stop listening and entertaining the sound and lies of demons and say, so what? Ah, to be right with God, to receive freely what he paid for you. Church, stop living in bondage. Romans 6.21 Roman 6, says, what fruit did you reap at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? The outcome of those things is death. The word of God is clear. You, re you reaped no good fruit. Why are you living in it? And I tell you that God will always tell you to do the humble thing. When you ask him what is the right thing to do, if it is not the humble thing to do, it is not God speaking to you. If you have not humbled yourself since you have given your life to Christ tonight, you will have a chance. Because I believe that treaties with the enemy need to be broken so that there is not a bride walking in bondage, not ready for the return of Jesus. Romans 6, 16 through 19 says this, listen to this. Do you not know that when you offer yourselves as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin leading to death or to obedience leading to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you once were slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were committed. You have been set free from sin. The word of God declares over you, body of Christ, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. He says, I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. So just as you used to offer parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to escalating wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness, leading to holiness. Tonight, treaties with the enemy need to die. So how do we do that? This scripture just said we were once slaves to sin, but now offer parts of our bodies to be slaves of righteousness. So how do we do that? Number one, and the only piece of practical advice I'm going to give you, one, stop serving your sin. Stop serving your flesh and serve God with everything within you. I love this. It's the greatest, one of the, my favorite examples of this, and it's Mary. And in Luke 1, 34 through 38, the angel comes to Mary and begins to tell her this radical thing that's going to happen to her and that she is going to be impregnated with the Savior, Jesus. 
And her response is this, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. This is going to happen to you tonight, church. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. Mary responds to Jesus and says, I am your servant. If you text notes to 59090, you will see tonight that I gave you an entire list of scriptures that proves that serving will break your bonds with darkness. When you begin to serve Jesus Christ and stop serving your flesh, I am telling you, all of the sudden, you will be, begin to recognize the difference between serving him and serving this. You will begin to crave him more. You will begin to have less time to serve this. You see in Psalms 116, 16 through 19, the psalmist says, truly, O Lord, I am your servant. You have broken my bonds. Serving will break bonds and treaties with darkness. First Peter 2.16 says, live in freedom and live as servants of God. Romans 7.6, having died to what bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the spirit. Galatians 5.13, for you brothers were called to freedom. I get excited when I hear that verse because it means that Jesus called me to be free. So the only reason that you are not answering that call is if you have answered the call of somebody else that is not Jesus. Because Jesus has called you into freedom. He says, but do not use your freedom as an opportunity, what? Of the flesh. Rather serve one another in love. See, serving takes humility. And humility interrupts our walk of flesh and sets us up on our freedom walk. So let's go back to the beginning. Our opening scripture tonight was in Galatians with Sarah and Hagar. In verse 29, it says this, at that time, however, the son born by the flesh persecuted the son born by the spirit. It is the same now. I wanted to give you some wisdom. Your flesh lives to persecute your spirit in unity with the Holy Spirit. They are always waging war with one another. At least they should be. If your spirit is not waging war with your flesh, you have given in and you are following your flesh's ways. You are following fleshly desires. See, this is the difference between what feels good versus what is holy. They should be warring against each other at all time within you. What seems easier to give should be or is persecuting, standing firm in his word and in his spirit. See, your flesh is there for you to not listen to, but to war against church. You are called to crucify your flesh as Jesus modeled for you so that holiness would prevail and freedom in the Holy Spirit would win. 
It goes on our opening scripture to say, but what does the scripture say? Expel the slave woman and her son. The Bible is saying expel bondage for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. This word expel in the Greek means ekbalo. It means to I throw, I cast out, or I drive out, or I banish. You must cast out bondage, church. You must expel the demonic spirits that have been that have been oppressing you. You were not meant to live with those demonic things oppressing and lying and persecuting you. He is given an authority. If you have asked Christ into your life and invited the Holy Spirit to dwell within you, it means you have the authority to expel bondage. We're going to cast some things out tonight. Church, I want to ask you, do you know who you are? Do you know who you belong to? Because the Galatians had already given their life to Jesus through Paul. And Paul is writing the Galatians saying, why have you gone back to your old ways, the old rituals, the old lifestyles, the old covenant? You've been set free. Why would you go back? See, Paul gives them a picture of Sarah and Hagar representing the two covenants, the covenants of works and the covenants of grace, the covenants of works. We talked about this earlier, but it is doing things in your own strength. It is accomplishing freedom. It is accomplishing fruit in your own strength. See, this was Abraham when he turned to Hagar, the slave woman, and what he was done waiting on his promise. God promised him something and he said, well, maybe God's taking too long because I'm an old man, so I better begin to operate in my own strength to accomplish the promise of God on my life. How many of us turn back to our old ways when we have already received Jesus, but we go back to a religious spirit operating in an old covenant? See, this is how many of us have responded in a walk of flesh. But there is another option, and it's the greatest option, and it's the covenant of grace. It's what Christ did for on the cross for you. It has absolutely nothing to do with your ability, your strength, your gifts, what you can do for anybody. It is a free gift that you get to receive and a new bloodline that you get to claim and walk in. See, this covenant born of the free woman ends in life and an eternal life. But there's one way to receive it. Yes, through grace. But we have to cast the pride out and in humility. When we receive this new covenant, church, we receive liberty and freedom. 1 Corinthians 7, 20 through 23 says, Each one of you remain in the situation he was in when he called you. 
Were you a slave when you were called? Do not let it concern you. But if you can gain your freedom, take the opportunity for who he is. He, for he who was a slave when he was called by the Lord is the Lord's freedman. Conversely, he was a free man when he was called as Christ's slave. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. What is he saying? He doesn't really care how you called upon his name, whether a slave, whether a freedman. He says when you enter in to this covenant of grace, you're going to both be my freedman and my bondservant because watch what I'm about to do through your life now that you are mine. It's the greatest free gift that your birthright is freedom. Church, do you know who you are tonight? Worship team, come up. I want to read you so that you know about the one that I'm speaking of tonight. That you know who you were made by. Galatians 4, 3 through 7 says, ah, When we were children, we are enslaved under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive. Listen, church. Our adoption as sons. And because you are sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so that you are no longer a slave, but a son, a daughter. And since you are a son, you are also an heir through God. This is why your bloodline is different. Because you're an heir of the Most High King. You're an heir of Jesus Christ. This man that I want to tell you about tonight. That demonstrated with his life the ultimate humility. He was the greatest servant who ever walked the earth. The Son of God and the Son of Man. That came into the world through a 14 year old virgin girl. Not a queen, not a royal family. But in Bethlehem and laid in a manger surrounded by farm animals. He entered this world in humility. He was raised a normal Jewish life until he becomes a carpenter. No miracles, no signs and wonders most of his life. And when they do begin, there were no armies. There were no royal vehicles to carry him in. There was no chariots escorting him. But walking from town to town, ministering to just one more to be persecuted and hated. Then we read how he washes the feet of his disciples. He serves his disciples, those that should be washing his feet, before the moment he gives himself up. Oh, and then we begin to read. And he cries out to the Lord in prayer in the garden. Bleeding, sweat pouring out from his temples to prepare himself for what he must do because of his great love for us. He gives himself up to be handcuffed. He doesn't fight them. But he gives himself up to be taken away with soldiers. An innocent man that declares no defense on his behalf. No power play. No, do you know who I am? Even though he was the I am. Because he had one thing on on his mind, church, and it was you. And then he's taken to a pit of disgust, urine, and 
and feces. He's thrown into it. And as he listens in this pit, his closest disciple, Peter, all of a sudden, the, 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 the disciple that promised his allegiance, he can hear the sound of his betrayal. Yet the Bible says that he turns to Peter anyway. Then he endures mockery, spit, hits, punches from all around him, all the while awaiting to carry a large cross weighing anywhere from 150 to 300 pounds, about a half a mile, with giant gashes on his back from the 39 lashes he bared from a whip made with leather and bone and metal balls with spikes on it. Then a crown of thorns placed on his head as he was mocked, laughed at, and his blood spilled out for us. He endured all of this and more to be placed on a cross, dying a sinner's death with thieves on each side of him, interceding for us. What you and I deserve he took on for all of your freedom. Freedom from bondage, freedom from sin, to be saved and set free. Church, this is all what he did for you. He won the ultimate war by dying for your salvation, deliverance, and freedom. He did this for you. Not only did he die for you, but he was resurrected for you and then he ascended for you and then he gave his Holy Spirit to fill you with power with his anointing with resurrection life that's why he ascended he said I can't be with all of them but my spirit can and this is how they will live and freedom is what by walking and the Spirit. <laughs> Galatians 5. So many of you say I've had deliverance, freedom moments. God has set me free and then I'm back in bondage. How? First, I want to tell you, stop asking him so many questions. He died for freedom's sake to give you freedom because Christ wanted you to be free. It says it in Galatians 5.1 where he says, I called you into freedom. And then it goes on to say in 16 and 18, how do I walk in freedom? By walking in the spirit, church. This is why I believe the spirit of religion wants to deny the Holy Spirit so much in this hour and his gifts because it's what keeps you in freedom. Verse 16 says, so I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. For the flesh craves what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. <laughs> Those that are opposed to each other so that you do not do what you want, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law, but I love how Romans 8, 15 says it. <laughs> 14, verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. 
Church, you're heirs of this freedom. It's already paid for you. You can have it if you just grab it. You can have it if you just receive it. But you have to humble yourself to receive.